Hello, hello, and welcome to the Sanibel Captiva Guide podcast. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our next guest, one of the most knowledgeable island people we know, Charles Liboff. Welcome, Charles. Well, thank you Howdy. very much. It's, Howdy. It's, it's been a roundabout way of getting here. Yes, yes. yes. we finally got you. So we've been in touch for Laurie more particularly for a long time and during COVID and all the rest of it and probably wasn't the best time to get together. Yeah. Uh, but it's finally happening. You're here. So thank yeah. you and welcome. And you I'm, made our I'm fangirling right now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it, thank That's you. fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your background on the island, uh, Charles, for those that might not know you, or uh, uh, tell us uh, early days and through through the your history on the island. Okay. I first came to Sanibel back in 1952. I was uh, living in Bonita Springs with my family, my parents, and I met a young guy from Estero. We rode the school bus together between Bonita Springs and Fort Myers. And one night we were out on the beach at Bonita Beach and I happened to see a, a light off on the horizon. So I said, Don, what is that light? He said, well, that's the Sanibel light. It's a lighthouse. And I loved lighthouses. I'd studied them as a kid. Part of our Actually, our curriculum, learning about the Boston Lighthouse. I was from from the outskirts of Boston, yeah. so we uh, neither one of us had a driver's license. <laughs> so he borrowed his mother's car oh, on a Saturday, <laughs> and we drove to Punarasa and got on the ferry. Came over to Sanibel and drove all around exploring. We went shelling, and I strolled around the lighthouse, and I had a good good impression of the island. And I was telling your wife that earlier that I had gone to I was attending school with two kids from Sanibel, uh, Ralph Woodring, who is still on the island, and uh, Jim Pickens, who just recently left. So I, to enhance my interest in Sanibel, every so often they'd announce in the morning that the uh, Sanibel school bus was late again. So <laughs> Sanibel sort of caught me in between the, the name rather unique name and the lighthouse is what drew me here the first time right and little did i know that uh just uh four years later i'd become an employee of the u.s fish and wildlife service at their red T red tide field station in naples and part of my job was to fly in an aircraft with tommy wood who was the manager of then sanibel national wildlife refuge and I'd come back to Sanibel and sat down in Tarpon Bay in the aircraft, and he lived part of the time in a house at the very end of Woodring Point. I'd go in and have coffee and cookies and take a break and then fly the rest of our routine flight. Right, so a seaplane, so, obviously. A seaplane, yeah. yeah it was a, that first aircraft I flew in. Well, the first was a, a I forgot, the second was a Piper Tri-Pacer. Okay. And then the government bought him a, Piper Super Cub, and he had the Super Cub when I moved here permanently. Right. Wow. So that, that got me to Sanibel. Yeah. And then uh, I'd work with him during the week, you know, fly to collection stations, and and apparently my work ethic impressed him. And in the meantime, the Red Tide Lab closed and moved to St. Petersburg, and I didn't want to go to St. Pete. And uh, I stayed put in Naples, and then one day he called and 
offered me a position on Sanibel. And my wife was expecting our first child, and I had to postpone it. But I moved to Sanibel in late December 1958. I started work at Sanibel National Wildlife Refuge uh, the first week of January 59. Wow. And what was your job to be? I was basically his assistant. Okay. It was uh, all types of refuge work, wildlife census, maintenance, maintenance of the lighthouse buildings, uh, patrol work, law enforcement. Law enforcement too. Law enforcement so too. you wore many hats. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, in the old days, Fish and Wildlife Service employees did. Yeah. Okay. Now it's a little bit different. The, the positions are more specific. Mm. Right. How many people were on the island when you moved? Approximately 400. 400. People. There were only uh, probably a half dozen couples our age. And uh, Tommy's wife threw a, a tea party for my, for my wife so she could meet the, <laughs> right, the, meet other. the girls. <laughs> right. And I think they're all gone now. Yeah. Mm, so wow. this is pre-causeway. The only way to get to the island would be by ferry, by ferry or if or, you had your own boat, I'm or guessing. Or an airplane. Or, an air, or the Cassabelle seaplane. Airport. Oh, right. Yeah. There was an airport on the island, too. Yeah, yeah. right opposite Cassiabelle. It got shut down. When was it shut down? In I think it was shut down in 70s? 78. Uh, okay, uh, okay late 70s. Yeah, so it was an accident at the yeah, end of it. It was an accident. Yeah, a little bit some, short, the runway. Yes, at Point San, San o, it careened into Point Santo's property. <laughs> oh, did it really? Yeah. yeah. And it's now actually, from the from the air, you can actually still see it. It's actually now the development. Butter it's called Butter Knife. And it's, <laughs> if you look at it, it's the exact shape of a runway. Right. Yeah. yeah. 2,500 so. feet, I believe. Is that really? Was it 2,500? Side airstrip. Right. Wow. So you uh -huh. move straight into one of the cottages at the lighthouse, which are still in existence today. So if you're facing, I guess, with your back to the water, which which... Building be, were you in? It would be the right-hand building. Okay. Easternmost. Easternmost building. Yeah, that was quarters two. Okay. The original lighthouse buildings. Yeah. So you lived there on your own? Or with your wife and, My your, wife and, 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 daughter. You, and your daughter? And yeah. then uh, three years later, a son came along. Okay. And, and a that, baby baby. I mean, she was newborn, your yeah, daughter. Yeah, my daughter was 11 weeks, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What was your first impression when you... Well, the house was very... Very run down, the inside. Was it really? We yeah. had to furnish it. We had just been married a little over a year, and we had to buy uh, furniture and <laughs> appliances. It was pretty hard really? to start out. Who had <laughs> lived in it before? It had just sat empty. For uh, before we moved in, there was a family called the Stalins that rented the house. And before that, there was employees from the Florida Department of Health doing mosquito research. Really? So how long did you spend in that lighthouse building? Moved in in uh, December 58, moved out in July of 79. Yeah. So wow. just, just wow. shy of, I guess, 21 years, 22 wow. years. Wow, 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 wow. Jeez. Just a quick message before we get back to the show. We put a ton of effort into bringing you quality content, so if you would like to help us share our love of the islands, here are several easy ways. Firstly, you can support us on Patreon. You could purchase an island souvenir from our Etsy store. You can metaphorically buy us a coffee, which is an easy way to donate a couple of bucks. Don't you prefer tea? Well, I do, kind of. Also, like and subscribe to our channel to keep up to date with all things Sanibel and Captiva. 
And finally, show some love to our sponsors. Let them know we sent you. All the links are in the description below. Now, back to the episode. And what was it like? Obviously, the the, the uh, sun rises to die for, and what a perfect location if you like the beach. You get up that early. <laughs> if you get up that early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you have any trips to the top of the lighthouse? Oh, many, yeah. Did you? Uh, it was serviced by two Coast Guardsmen stationed in Fort Myers, and they'd come over periodically to check the light and then also to uh, refuel the acetylene. So I was assigned to assist them in different things, settling, tank replacement, and then uh, after Donner, I had to assist in replacing some of the storm panes, the big windows up top, and then I assisted in the electrification Ah, and the change out of the lens. So when did it become electrified? 63. 63. So the settling, when it ran off of that, how often would that need replenishing? It must have been... There were 200 pound cylinders I believe they had uh, they had six cylinders three in use and three on a standby right. manifold in case something happened and they changed the motor about every six months oh wow it lasted that long and why settling just lots brighter or it was a new technology in the 20s and Sanibel was one of the first lighthouses equipped with the acetylene burner Oh, okay. And if you want to dive more into the history of the lighthouse, Charles, you've written an entire book just about the Sandbell Lighthouse mm -hmm. and fascinating. When was it built? 1884, I believe. 1884. It was put, it was put mm -hmm. there. And at that time, it's it still shining. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's is, incredible. Yeah. That, How, what does the, what is the uh, maintenance of the lighthouse look like now? Who, who runs it? Who, who looks after it? The Coast Guard still maintains the lighthouse. Even though Sanibel owns it. The, uh, Sanibel owns it, and Sanibel, I believe, is responsible for the maintenance. They had to spend uh, nearly a quarter of a million dollars to refinish it after they were given it. I, I read that, that they, yeah. were, they had a bit of a sticker shock after they purchased yeah, it. And, terrible. And, yeah, they purchased it for a dollar and then wound up with a maintenance bill. That was That's when the beach parking Increase. is that right sure. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I'm sure. oh, yeah i guess which makes sense so there's no uh if i'm right in understanding there's no navigational reason for it to be going today is there or are they they're just keeping it going for aesthetics or no it's still printed on the light list as a operational light oh it is okay it, it's nearly it's there for anyone who cares to use it but with modern technology it's not very useful to the to the boater. Modern navigators. Yeah, no. modern navigation, no. GPS, right. takes over. So were you a boating guy yourself if you lived right there? Did you have a boat yourself? Would I you did. I had personal boats, and I ran government patrol boats. Really? And you were a fisherman or sports? sports I was guy? never a fisherman. No? My son took that responsibility. <laughs> did he? <laughs> but uh, today at, at the uh, library With, presentation, yeah. Uh, Betty Anholt talked about the erosion at the lighthouse. Yes. You saw that photograph? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right there. Mm -hmm. uh, I've thrown cast nets off that porch and caught mullet. No way. I've casted with mirror lures and caught snook. No way. When it was that badly eroded. Oh, really? wow. Yeah, that's all when land that? now, isn't it? 
That was that was like fifty nine or sixty. That photo I took that photograph. So, so did and they it bring was just, in sand, or is it no, just a all, natural? No, it's all natural accretion. It just goes, comes yeah. and goes with the. Oh wow! Winds. Oh. Yeah. So you have the book about the Sandbell Lighthouse, and then you also have written a another story about your life and times of living in the lighthouse. And one of my favorite bits of it when you talk about how your son told you years later that he might have crawled up the outside of the lighthouse. Oh, he did climb up. <laughs> yeah, his, on the outside? On the outside. No way. I think most lighthouse kids did that or tried that. But Chuck, he went all the way to the top on the outside. And, and until they repainted it up where the rain couldn't strike the lighthouse yeah. on some of those I-beams, you could still see his handprints, I believe. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no way. And you found out later that he'd actually climbed it. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then during the, the Saturn launches, we all went up in the lighthouse to watch that. We took a little portable TV up there and stood by. No and way. There was a hold, and we'd be there when 68, would that have been, or before that? It was in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, in the 60s. Wow. We, we didn't see the lunar launch. Oh, so that was 68, so it was before that. Was it 69? Maybe 69. 69. Yeah. Okay, so it was yeah. before that. Yeah. It was July of 69, yeah. yeah. So uh, we'd, we'd watch them. Wow. That's we've crazy. never gotten a chance to go up, although we've always wanted to. No, we actually took a trip to the Sister Lighthouse. We have a film about it on the YouTube channel where Max went to school, uh, or not far from there, about an hour west of there. There's a the sis, the Sister St. Blast, yeah. St. Blast. Blast, and we went up that one, and that was all we were doing, trying to imagine what it was like. It was the exact, exact same that, lighthouse. I saw that video. You did, did you really? Very well done. I oh, really, thank you. Thank I really you. enjoyed it. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah, I can't imagine climbing up the outside. Looking no, out from the top. Young, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the other story about how, didn't he leave like a transistor radio up there or something? Tell the story about that. Yeah, unbeknownst to me, I, the Coast Guard, after they electrified it, gave me a key because one time they forgot to bring their key. So I, <laughs> I had a key from like 63 on, and I'd take the kids and my kids and relatives up in the lighthouse occasionally. And uh, the key was always in the same place, and I never noticed it when it was gone or not. Right. So unbeknown to me, my son Chuck and uh, a couple of other island kids would go up top with an old transistor radio with a uh, clothes uh, hanger antenna <laughs> and listen to their music. Well, it was sometime after this was going on that... Uh, the manager called me in the office and said, uh, you know anything about a radio and being up top of the lighthouse? We have permission to put our radio there, but do uh, you know anything about that? I said, no. And he pulled out, <laughs> showed me this radio. <laughs> like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> no idea how that got there. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Oh wow. Do, your, do you think your kids have good fond memories of growing up? Yeah, my my daughter does. She's very emotional about the lighthouse. Mm. Um, we were interviewed for this new uh, lighthouse documentary. Documentary the Santa Claus Historical Society did. Did and, yeah, and it brought her to tears. Really, during a couple of the interviews. Yeah, my son not so much. He's nonchalant about it. Right, um, sounds <laughs> like a guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stiff upper lip, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So, what's it, your some of your fond, fondest memories of the island? What are you? Uh, have you got any that you'd share with us? Any? From, I mean, to put you on the spot. I mean, it's no, you're not difficult. putting me on the spot. Let's, <laughs> probably my, so my, my fondest memory is starting the sea turtle 
conservation program that's right. still ongoing these many years later. Yeah. I'm working with sea turtles. So tell everybody about that. So it used to be called the Coretta Research, correct? Coretta Research means and, loggerhead turtle research. And we started out with uh, donations from the public, and we built a small sea turtle nursery down at Tarpon Bay. We'd take young hatchlings and put them in tanks and try to raise them to give them a better chance of survivability. And we did that two years, but the weather really fouled things up. So we disbanded that aspect. And then we started working on the beach, tagging, measuring, weighing, moving eggs, protecting them from encroaching tides. Basically the same thing they're doing today. But this involves like getting up in like the middle of the night or- Yeah, we went, well, part of my, my initial turtle work, uh, we had law enforcement authority, as I said, and sea turtles were protected. So I patrolled the beach to protect sea turtles, and it just grew from there. Gotcha. I was out there anyway. <laughs> so you <laughs> might as well. And, so at that, the time, people would eat the sea turtles, I'm guessing, on the well, island? People were still eating sea turtles then, yeah. Really? Yeah. Have you ever eaten one? I've eaten sea turtles in restaurants. Really? Uh, they were commercially available? No, no, these were oh. being taken off the beach, the nesting beach. Illegal, oh, wow. Illegal. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that was a thing. Oh, no, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. It was They've got to be heavy. all over Florida. Really? I'm sure there's a ton of meat from them. I mean, if you were hungry, I mean, there's... Oh, there's a lot of weight besides meat. The shell is heavy and the uh, the intestines. Oh, really? The only... They get meat around the flippers and... How much does an average one weigh? About 250 pounds for a female. So I can't the imagine... Heaviest we weighed, I believe, weighed 345 pounds. Wow. So even getting that, I guess, up into a truck or somehow even getting yeah, off the beach was a feat. They'd uh, tie ropes to them and pull them up off the beach and load them in the trunk of a car no. or in a boat. No oh, way. Wow. That's really? crazy. Oh, wow. Seems crazy now, but I guess back then it wasn't. It was just the yeah. dumb thing. Yeah. Well, back then, driving on the beach, everybody drove on the beach. It they wasn't did? illegal. Really? Yeah, fishermen people that might be interested in a turtle. They all drove the beach until the county commission closed driving. Do you know when that was? I believe it was 63 after the causeway opened. Really? I believe they finally took some action. Wow. wow. So you lived through, obviously, the experience of them putting the causeway. I know you talked about it. I went to the library today. You talked about your new book and what your feelings were. Tell everybody what your feelings were because you lived on the island for, what, 10 years without any transportation except for a boat. Yeah, so over to, 10 years, the, yeah. So the thought uh, of a, a causeway when coming. The, when, when the causeway issue came to, to a head, I was president of the local Audubon Society, and we came out as being entirely opposed to a causeway, to a connection. So we were, we were really involved in the battle to stop it, but at the end we, of course, not being politicians or <laughs> right. hungry for tax money, we lost and the yeah. causeway was put in. I've heard about heated battles, was that true? Were there heated battles and There were downtown? arguments. Yeah. Uh, I cover one argument in the, in the book, a minor argument, but uh, it's, it's funny that the people that, uh, many of the people who wanted the causeway, some were old timers, They'd been here since the, the turn of the century, really? or their families had. They wanted the bridge. 
Others did not want the bridge. But after the bridge came in, the first ones to leave were the ones that wanted the bridge because they couldn't tolerate the traffic. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Was there traffic right from the start then? As soon as the bridge was put there, was there traffic yeah, straight it was, away? It was 24-7, but it wasn't nothing like it was now. Right. Until uh, a few years later, by 66, we had a water being distributed to households, Island Water Association. And that's what really increased Oh, the water distribution. Yeah, really? Yeah. So, so not before that, people were bringing their own bottled yeah. water and things we, like that? We drank uh, well water. Oh, okay. I drank for five years. My family drank cistern water. Which describe water. what a cistern is for people Cisterns that don't know. Cistern's a big, big water tank that's connected to downspouts. So basically water coming off your roof, off rain your roof, coming off rain your roof. coming off your roof. And would you boil it? or are you, No. You we, just, we were brave. We should have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You wouldn't do You wouldn't do it. Would it have any sort of sanitization done no, to it at all? Nothing. No. What would happen? <laughs> the, the, the cistern would maintain. We had one cistern remaining. Okay. Uh, and the base of that cistern is still standing at the lighthouse. Right. So you can see it today. quarters one. Yeah. Mine had washed away in 47 during a hurricane. But uh, the cistern would hold water. It was just used for drinking. We had a shallow well for most other uses. And uh, come about the latter part of May, I would have to go inside the cistern, scrub it, clean it. And then once the rain started, it had a diverter valve in the gutter. And I turned the diverter and flush out the tank and then uh, put the bung back in the tank and let that rain hit the roof and run into that cistern all summer long but there were things on that roof <laughs> right, that I, I couldn't remove <laughs> like burns <laughs> and it was years later that I told my wife that I actually found dead tree frogs dead rats in the water in that cistern and you were drinking and from I it. cleaned it out <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness! Clean when I right, right. Oh but a year later, <laughs> that's all we had. But let's just say Charles is eighty-six now. I think uh, so. I'll be eighty-six in two days. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> How'd you know I think it must be good. It must have been good for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's another story tied to that. One day, uh, I was eating lunch. I went home next door for lunch, of course, and I got a glass of water, and somehow I held it up, and the light hit it just right. <laughs> And I looked at it, and I could see little filaments floating through it. Yeah. I think this is in my book, Sanibel Light, one of my books. And uh, I could see these filaments. And what it was, it was asbestos particles in that water. Uh-uh. So I went next door, and I showed Tommy. He drank the same water. And we decided to cut it off right then, so we started buying bottled water. And soon after that, the... Island Water Association came in. Right. So I'm sure you're happy yeah. about the island water yeah. coming. But we're all a little fireproof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. So, so I still have one of those cisterns on uh, Upper Cap There's the, next to the gym. Um, there's the, Oh, no. Yusepa. Oh, Yusepa. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yusepa has still a Cypress uh, cistern that's there. Yeah. 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 Still, still not, not being used. No. No, no, no. no. I would think so. No. Because now with mosquito sprays and... Right. And we drank all of the residue from that. <laughs> Were they spraying back then? Or? Yeah, they sprayed back then. They did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were the bugs, the mosquitoes bad back then? Yes, they were. Are, are they worse worse than they are now? 
very much so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you tell a story of how you literally, it was black, your, your screens. It was black. We lit, our bedroom was in the wing of the lighthouse. And uh, as you come into the main part of the house, originally there was a breezeway that ran through there. And there was a, a window. And that was opposite the bathroom. And that was black with mosquitoes, the screen. What did uh, your wife think about moving to the island? She was fine with that because she was, she was raised on Marco Island and her lifestyle was exactly the same as Sanibel. Gotcha. Even so worse than what we had on Sanibel. She had no electricity. Really? Drank this was that a water step out up of a pitcher her. pump. Wow. When she was a baby. Yeah, really? it was really, really, really rough. Wow. Hmm. And Florida was not an easy life for the so-called Florida crackers. Well, right, I'm no. sure like the advent of water and then, you know, the bug spraying and then air conditioning probably yeah, air has conditioning. quadrupled the population. Did you have air conditioning of no, any sort? I didn't, I didn't have any air conditioning until uh, I bought a window unit 67 for the bedroom. That was only so I could sleep late after being on the beach. No way. Really? Mm -hmm. You use air now, though. Yeah, air conditioning. Yeah. Oh, you bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a diehard. There no. was no. when I first moved here. We went to a get together around somebody's house. It was actually up by the old uh, schoolhouse theater, and they had um, they had a, a house that had no AC at all or didn't use it, and uh, it was quite incredible. We around there at night, and they had very low wattage bulbs and only a couple of them on, and they just had this way of uh, adapting to you know not generating heat within the house with electricity every window being open every and it was actually relatively comfortable, comfortable if you if you change your use with electricity and you know there's you wouldn't believe how much heat light bulbs give off and all the rest mm -hmm. of it it was actually kind of impressive that mm -hmm. you can still do that yeah, i know people today that don't use air conditioning really yeah it's, it's no. tough. i could never no, no wouldn't be me. No, I'm spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you probably had some good breezes, though, at the lighthouse. There so. were. If the wind was just right, you could open all the windows and get a nice breeze. Mm -hmm. um, but some nights, we would have to get the kids up, put them down in the car, and drive up and down periwinkle with the windows open so they just could to cool, down. Cool, cool down. Really? And sleep the sand flies. Or no CMs, as everybody calls them. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, no CMs is a new new term. term. That, is that it used to be sandflies? Yeah, I think I think up some of these people that come here brought it with them from <laughs> the Carolinas or somewhere. All right. But when, when my wife was young, they they used mosquito bars, mosquito netting, to sleep in, and some people when I came here may still have used those. I don't know. So was just common. you would drape it over you, or over would you have bed, it hanging over your bed? No, right. we had that. I remember going to Africa as a kid, and we had those like mosquito nets yep. that hung around. And you just, I woke up in the middle of the night once, and I was absolutely you couldn't even see out yeah. of it. And the noise, I remember being absolutely petrified. Yeah, hmm. wow. I can't imagine that. Yeah, no. yeah that noise will catch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the noise of the bugs. You'd think. So, what other wildlife did you? I mean, there must have been wildlife. Must have been roaming free at that time. Gators and. All the rest of it. I mean, not just gators, but like lots of stuff. I mean, what were typical visitors to the lighthouse at that time? I presume it was it was like it was today, surrounded by vegetation and mm -hmm. and very few people. So, was there a lot more wildlife then at the lighthouse itself? Oh yeah, around that area. Oh uh, yeah, there were gopher tortoises, indigo snakes that are indigos are no longer on the island. 
occasional rattlesnake on the point. They're no longer there. Were they removed? No, they were all killed. Oh, really? Either accidentally on the road or purposely by a person. Oh, gotcha. I think you had a pet manatee, too. Is that right? a baby manatee that I rescued, yeah. (laughs) Right. Tell everybody that story. I got a call one day from a man on Captiva. It was a young manatee being washed up against the seawall. So I dashed up, and it was a small manatee, about, I don't know, 40, 50 pounds. So I put it in the car and came home, and we had used two-way radios then, and I called my wife on the radio and told her that to fill the bathtub, I was bringing home a pet. So I brought it home, put it in the bathtub, <laughs> and uh, the next day we called every public aquarium, like SeaWorld wasn't there then, but Miami Sea Aquarium, there was one in Tampa, Marineland, trying to get them to take the manatee, but nobody would take it. I even called California, trying to find a home for that poor thing. And nobody would take it. So we called our vet, went over town and got some uh, bitches milk, mixed up a formula, and I kept that thing alive for several months. Really? Yeah, and it died. Not in your bathtub, though. Or no, you would, were you transferred? There, there was a pond, a little brackish water pond that I put it in in the daytime. By the lighthouse. Yeah. And then you'd bring it back in at night? I bring to it the back bat- in at night. To the bathtub. In the bathtub. <laughs> just just because of the cold a, or because of the... No, I was afraid something would happen to oh, it. Oh, just afraid of it. Yeah, I was afraid you. something would grab it. Some person or raccoon or something and hurt it. Right. Oh, I so, you were sad. So how big was it? it was, when it died, it was probably 60 pounds. I've got a picture of it in the Santa Bell light. It, it was black. It was about about that long, I guess. Wow. Under wow. three feet. Aw. Wow. The you mother, tried. The mother was never found. I mean, probably hit by a boat and killed. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that that was a real sad situation. That's when my, my kids will cry when they think of that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Um, but that was the most unique thing that I that I had. And you had a few encounters with alligators, too. Yeah, I started the... Uh, uh, nuisance alligator program on the island, catching alligators in people's backyards and relocating them. At that time, did they have to be a certain length, or they just the people were just felt threatened by them, or how? Well, I never bothered anything that was small. I mean, most of them that I moved were over eight feet long. And where would you put them? I take them out in the refuge. Mm. Oh, so still, still, on, still the on the island. Pa- paint their heads, and. W- one 12-footer in five days was back at West Rocks. No way. <laughs> yes. Oh, it just came it didn't all, work. It just came straight back. <laughs> yeah. Really? So did you bring it back again? No, we didn't bother it again. <laughs> so did you, how did you catch them? Were, were you personally the one that catch, caught them? Or? Well, that one I caught with a, with a line with a bait on it. Oh, did you? Yeah. And then I remember another one I caught up on Sandcap Road. The alligator wasn't doing anything. It was just sunning itself in their backyard. I mean, you know, give me a break. That that happens here. Right, right. right. And uh, so I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll move it. So it had a definite trail that it would leave the water. So I just made up a, a noose and I hung it on that trail, and it walked into it, tied <laughs> itself up. Really? That was one of the easiest catches I ever had. <laughs> really? Did you ever have any scares with an alligator? Have I? Yeah. 
I've been bitten by a couple. That sounds scary. Uh, yeah. One was pretty painful. Yeah. And then one time I I had a, an eight-footer that Bob Sabatino, he's passed oh, away a few years ago. He was ago. a local he, fishing guy. Right. Great guy. He, he worked at the refuge part-time. When he wasn't guiding, he'd come to work at the refuge. So we had gone and caught this alligator and had it trussed up in the the back of a pickup truck and took it out on the wildlife drive to where the tower is located and uh, untied it and on the left side going out the left side that was fresh water back in these days there was no opening for tidal interchange so I wanted it to go on the fresh water side and the alligator decided to go on the right hand side <laughs> so I wanted to change it to mine so I jumped on it I caught it Something happened, and uh, it got on top of me, twisted me over, and I had one arm pinned behind my back, and the other, other arm up by my neck, and the alligator is right here. Uh oh! About to shave me. Uh oh! So or worse. I, I, I hollered to Bob, and he wasn't an alligator man, but he jumped on there and got the alligator off. No way! Goodness. So quick. I think that was 1971. 72. So you got bitten? Did you get any lasting damage or just scars? Or you just. No, you can't see them anymore. No. I got. What did I get? I got bit on my left hand. It was during the 71 red tide. And uh, I had a friend visiting me and we had nothing to do. And uh, Jack, uh, manager of Island Inn, Rushworth, called and said, There's an alligator here in the Gulf. So alligators go in the Gulf. It's no big deal. Just leave it alone. It'll do its thing. But I decided I'd catch it to have something to do. So <laughs> we drive down to Island Inn. One of the guys was the experienced alligator person. The other was just a, a friend along for the ride. And uh, we get down to Island Inn, and there's about 50 people standing on the beach. And the alligator's out there just coming up and down. And the water's pink red with red tide. So George Weymouth and I waited out, and uh, we got out just past the sandbar, and it started to get deep, and I was about chest deep in the water. And you could see down through the water, you could see the bottom, and I saw the shape of this alligator. And I said, hey, George, he's over here. I've got him. So I straddled him, as I normally would, and I dropped down. And you know, chest deep is about three and a half foot of water, more maybe. And normally I would just drop down and get him behind the head, throw a scissor grip on him so he couldn't turn, and uh, that was it. But this time, my left hand ended up in his mouth. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh I think you've had nine well, lives, like, Charles. Like, like a vice. So I came up, and uh, George, George, he's got me by the hand. Go get me a towel. So he goes in and he gets a towel out of the Jeep, and I didn't want anyone to to see this in the crowd that was growing. Right. So uh, I took my, I put in between my legs, clamped him, and took my two, my th thumb and index finger in his eyes, and I just kept pressing his eyes, and I told the alligator, either you turn loose or you're, you're going to be seriously eye. damaged. And he did. Oh, I've used God. that technique before, too. Really? And... Uh, 
Good to keep so in mind, I, says, I guess. I says, take him, George. So George took him, and I wrapped the towel around my hand. Nobody could see all the blood because it was pouring blood. <laughs> we get in the Jeep. I drove to Island Inn. I washed my so hand. Closer. And uh, so I, 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 I washed my hand, and uh, it uh, wrapped it up, took the alligator and turned it loose. And the next morning, I woke up and uh, went into the bathroom and looked in the mirror, and I had blisters, water blisters all over my body, face, forehead, chest, arms, and I think it's because of that red tide brevitoxin got in my bloodstream because mm-hmm. of that open wound. It's the only oh, thing I Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. You never went to the I, hospital? No, I never went to the hospital, no. I just, <laughs> uh, I just lived with it, and in a few days it was dry, but kick myself for not getting a photograph of it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be in that, the book. Yeah, it would have been great that, content. That time with, uh, with Bob is when I basically gave up alligators. That was it. But today, in the community where I live, we have alligators, and I'm the alligator response coordinator. I have a state permit. An alligator can't be taken out of there unless I okay it. So I'm still working with alligators. Wow. wow. So do they know why? I mean, I've been, I fly a paramotor, um, and I was flying down Fort Myers Beach one day, and I could see all the fish and wildlife um, on the edge of and a big crowd. I was probably three, 400 feet in the air, so it was a bit hard to see. And then I looked out in the water, cause, and it was unusually empty, and I could see a gator swimming down the, along the beach. Fish and the wildlife were there, and they, they, they dispatched it with a triple hook and a fishing rod pretty quickly right. by snarling it up. But that, I've, heard that, I've heard that they'll go in the water to lose parasites. Is that true? Do you know anything? Or is that, is that, not, is that a wives' tale? Or I, don't, is that, I don't know that to be a fact. It could be, it could be a, a In reason. the water, I'm sorry, the salt water is what I meant right, to say, yeah. right. It's mostly for feeding. Is it? They do feed in they the can, Gulf? They feed in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. During the red tide periods, they feed. Um, they can't stay there long. They don't have uh, salt glands to rid, rid their system of salt. Oh. So they can only stay there a short time, then they have to return to fresh water. And I think when you came here, didn't people would feed the alligators. Is that It was, le- it was not yeah, illegal at the time. They Is didn't that- at first, but it's a trend that slowly started. Uh, over at Palm Lake on West Gulf Drive, there was a retired railroadman there. And uh, he used to fish at the fishing pier at the lighthouse, so I befriended him. And uh, I'd go to his house, and he'd take a large can of dog food, canned dog food and a big scoop spoon, go down to the water's edge and say, Wally, Wally, and this eight, nine-foot alligators come streaming across Palm Lake. Wow. Right up out of the the water and take that. Wow. It was like his Ted, Ted, you've got to stop that. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. You did it. So. Uh, and did, I heard that people would feed them marshmallows, marshmallows or something. Yeah. Why marshmallows? Because they float and they can see them easily. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that was a big fad around. Bailey's and Sundial. Yeah. And it was done regular. So were you part of the, um, I guess, the the law that actually banned the team that stopped, the, team that stopped the alligator yeah, feeding? When, or? when I was on the council, city council, I wrote the alligator or, ordinance. An anti-feeding alligator. So right. now ordinance. it's a $500, $500 fine. If it can you, be up to that. Up to and since then, it's become a state law. 
It all started. So here. we're one of the first here to do it. Yeah, we we were the first. Really? Thanks the to first. Charles. Yeah, that's awesome. What year was that? I think I, the ordinance was seventy-eight. Hmm. I believe. I was on the council from seventy-four to nineteen eighty. Right. So let's talk about every. So you started the the turtle research. You did the alligator ordinance. You started the Audubon Society. No, I didn't start. But you were president of the Audubon That's, Society. Mm. What else? I'm the last uh, surviving member of the founding board of Sanibel Captiva Conservation Foundation. Wow. And city council. I was a member of the first city council. When, when, I'm one of two survivors. Porter Goss and I are the survivors right and the city council was formed when sanibel became its own city City in 1974 and you were mm -hmm. the first i would say you have your fingers on a lot of sanibel i did a lot of, yeah i did a lot of things some things i shied away from and some things i didn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> fishing and alligator wrestling later in life <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't a fisherman. Just didn't take to it. Oh, I fished a little, but not, right. not but like not some you were, people. Right. Yeah. Some people are out every if, single day. If the fish were hitting, like snuck at the at the point at the lighthouse, I'd I'd fish for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I'd never had the patience to sit yeah. in a boat. You say and fish. you say you're surprised. We have, we own a fishing boat. We live on the water. We go out. We bought all the gear. We've been out. Like me and Max have been out many times and. I don't know. Something's just not for us. We you know? We've been out once fishing. Well, we've talked about <laughs> going out many we've times. Talked yeah, we've talked about it. About You're it. right. Yeah, and it's just yeah. All that horses and, for courses and an artist too, correct? Uh, I don't know if I'm an artist, but <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about the Calusa. Uh, do you do you have a collection of Calusa implements? Implements. Yeah. Yes. When I when I started to write my first novel or attempted to write a novel. Uh, the title is The Calusin. I uh, made my character, the main character in the book, who is a Calusa Indian warrior, but he's also an artisan. He creates uh, weapons, religious artifacts for the Calusa people. So I wanted to get myself in the mindset, so I uh, decided I would create those things that he made. And right now they're at the library until uh, I think the second of April, and then uh, I just learned that uh, I will they'll be accepted as a gift from me at the Sanibel Historical Village. Oh, fantastic! Down the road sometime. Right. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Hopefully, a long time. Meantime, long time away. They'll be in my office <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> right. So you just uh, you made them just as uh, an experiment to see how they were made, or just uh, no? I just wanted to get a, a feel. I wanted them. Right. Okay. Myself. Okay. I envied these artifacts that were actually found on Marco back in 1895. So I wanted to recreate them with my head in the place where this Indi young Indian would be. Gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. To see gotcha. what I could produce. Right. Right. Wow. Well, did, well, did the novel ever appear? Yes. Yeah, yeah, what's the name? Of the Calusin. The Calusin, okay. Yeah, I still, thought you said at the start that you, the book you attempted to write. No, so Yeah, well, I did You first, did finish it. <laughs> yeah, I finished it, but it's an attempt at a novel. <laughs> right. It, takes, it <laughs> takes place here, it starts out here on Sanibel, and it's mostly about Sanibel, Panarasa, 
starts out in the cattle industry back in the 1880s. So how many books have you written in total? Can you remember? (laughs) I I think this is 18. 18, really? This one just came out. Let's talk about this now because it's been sitting here. Laurie and yourself, you've been to a meeting this morning. Where where was it? That was was at the library where Betty Hanholt, which is the co-author of the book, and Charles gave a, a chat about the book, introduced the book to anybody that... Um, was there and then we could ask questions afterwards so it was, it was a lively fun. discussion about everybody had questions all over the board from mosquitoes to red tide to anything that they're interested in and so. betty anhol was on the podcast a little while back yeah. so you can check out that episode right and uh so it's a it's a huge it's book a with huge. lots of pictures and uh all about the landing strips maps and um really worth well checking out and uh where can it be bought uh, most of the stores on Sanibel, Macintosh books, it. Macintosh jeans. And jeans will jeans will have it, I think, soon. Mm-hmm. I know it's at Macintosh because I saw it the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, on the internet, yep. Amazon. Oh, it's on Amazon. Once upon it'll, it'll the soon, island known as Sanibel, it'll soon be an ebook. Awesome, awesome, awesome! So make sure you check it out. And uh, yeah, yeah, for Sounds anyone more. that loves Sanibel, we dedicated it to the people that. Uh, that loves Sanibel. Yeah, have, can you read that dedication, Charles? Because I read that and I was like, wow, that's... It's dedicated for the people who have grown to love Sanibel Island and want to know her full story. There you go. Perfect. And it's the, it's the full story from 1513 until probably 1980. We had to have a yeah, phase date. it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. But there'll never be another book like this written about the islands with this much detail and and personal anecdotes and mm-hmm. experiences. and So what was your relationship with uh, Betty Anholt? I mean, obviously, she's a historian. I know that much. Right. But Well, Betty and Jim Anholt uh, used to operate the standard gasoline station Okay. down on the corner of Beach Road. Right. That station is now. And uh, Betty and was interested in wild things, and she worked in shell shop and stuff like that but jim her husband became an early member of my sea turtle organization okay i guess it was probably it was in the late 60s okay and uh that's that's how i so you knew you've known each other for years and, and years one of the other young couples on the island i guess well they're a little bit younger than, <laughs> are they than us yeah gotcha. young whippersnappers <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 and Betty's uh, written many books too, so yes, I has, guess it was a natural thing for you guys to get together. Yeah, and she's a perfect person to work with. She, mm-hmm. That's our second book. We did one for History Press called "Protecting Sanibel and Captiva Islands," which has been very successful. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing like the detail in this book. Yeah, I couldn't believe I mean, it when I, tell, I saw it. I tell stories in here that I've never told before. Wow, that's awesome! I just got it today, so I will be reading tonight. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool, very cool. Wow, there's so many. Yeah, so many different different aspects of the island. Oh, when you came here, so it used to be the Sanibel Refuge, was the which is now the J.N. Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge. Was the road there, like the... The, the drive? Yeah, the no. drive. No. Gotcha. The only land that uh, the refuge had, <clears throat> we leased the lighthouse point from the Coast Guard, and... We owned the Bailey Tract on oh, Tarpon Bay Road. Okay. Oh, so so it wasn't actually the Ding Darling. There were two thousand acres in the mangroves that became the main part of the refuge today. 
that we had under lease from the state of Florida. And then when Darling died in 63, the people pushed to change the name of the refuge in 67. Right. And those people that pushed to change the name became the Sanibel Captiva Conservation Conservation Foundation. Foundation. And when was the drive put in? It was started in 65. It took about three years to complete. And I think it was one man with the drag line. Is that? Well, yeah, two started out and then t- turned out to be just Colin Moore that went down one side and came back the other. So he would just pile up dirt from one side, the other yeah, side, and then just keep moving along, right? He'd cover uh, bush beer cans. What, <laughs> what does really? that mean? What do you mean? That was the- <laughs> we used to take them on Fridays and hold a six-pack of Bush beer. Right. And the story was that it was beer cans from one end to oh, the other. As he was digging. <laughs> as he was digging. Well, gosh, he needed something to keep himself right. occupied. I can imagine what it was like, you know, eight, ten hours a day sitting in an air-conditioned dragline cab, hot machinery. Yeah. But it he did, loved it. It wasn't, for, it wasn't originally for the wildlife drive, though, was it? It wasn't. Well, it was. Was it twofold um, for mosquitoes, yeah, too? Uh, Mosquito control, Wayne Miller, director, wanted to keep his equipment working. And Tommy Wood, the manager, wanted access for the public into the refuge. So it was twofold. It was to to dig large impoundments to control mosquitoes and provide public access. So how does water control mosquitoes? Because you would think, I would think the opposite. Mm-hmm. Salt marsh mosquito is different than most mosquitoes it lays its eggs in moist usually moist soil like when there's a a spring tide that withdraws that that recedes they lay their eggs in that area or in the sandalbell slough when it's dry in the dry season and then when the tide comes back the next month or rainfall starts those eggs hatch gotcha so by flooding them, keeping them, keeping the water, water on them, there. they can't lay eggs. Right. Okay. Mm, okay. Huh. Oh, I thought they were. No, I didn't realize that they had to have no water. Yeah. yeah. So there's no water to lay the eggs, but then the water comes up, and that's what makes the the eggs hatch. So if mm-hmm. you keep it flooded, flooded, that's what stops the the. They can't lay the, lay the eggs, and the eggs can't hatch. All right. Right. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So just going back quickly to the turtle, was yeah. the, the turtle uh, preservation organization that you set up, was that your idea or was it, I know you used to, you were a founding member of it. No. What brought it on? Brought it on, uh, I mentioned Ding Darling, I think I mentioned it this morning about having coffee with him and Tommy Wood. During the conversation, uh, Tommy told him that I was interested in turtles. So then Ding Darling went off on a tirade about the turtles here needed help, the sea turtles. He did, really? Yeah. And uh, he sort of pushed me to do something, so I just took off from there. Really? How was Ding Darling? As a, I've never met anybody that's that's actually spoken to the man. How, yeah. how was he? There's very few left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was just a, I was uh, working on the flagpole at the lighthouse. And I think I just repainted the base or something. And a car pulled in. The, the road to the lighthouse was on the Gulf side back in those days. And the car pulled up and parked in front of the office. And this elderly man got out and got his cane. 
And he started up the stairs, but then he saw me, so he walked over to me, and uh, he said, you must be the new man. He said, I'm Ding Darling. I was a man, I was only like 22 years old. And uh, I told him, yes, I knew about him. Tommy had talked about him, and I knew that he lived on Captiva and about the cartoons he had done. He did one in particular that I loved. It was uh, in defense of the key deer in the Florida Keys. It was a cartoon of people burning and chasing the deer into the water and clubbing them. Oh, really? <laughs> and he came out of retirement and did that one to help help the key deer. But it was a great cartoon. And uh, then he starts talking about, uh, I understand you like snakes and turtles. I said, yes, sir. And he, he said, I just saw a beautiful indigo snake cross the road by the community church. Those things will never survive. This traffic will kill them. And he was right. Really? Really. So then they later called me upstairs for for coffee, and he sort of pushed me to do something for sea turtles, and I took it serious and did. And thank goodness you did. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome, man. Did a lot of good. What a legacy to have that, you know. I mean, just seeing the volunteers in the morning, I'm out quite a lot taking pictures at Mm -hmm. sunrise, and every morning there's people out there doing doing your work that you started so you know hats off to you man that's yeah, awesome. we did it all at night originally by did you really trolling really to catch the animal and tag it and gather you know body data on it so they don't tag them anymore i think they still do i think they have a team that comes here in the summertime and they do tag turtles and they right. put uh, satellite transmitters on them and more more advanced technology mm-hmm. i mean i left it 30 I left in 92 so 30 years ago right wow so now they have the state so if you haven't been to Sanibel or come here if you see the yellow stakes that's how the the turtle patrol goes and they will set up like a little barrier um and then put chicken wire in the sand stop Mm -hmm. the coyotes digging and yeah, yeah. Like predators digging yep. raccoons which what is a predator predator to the turtles is that raccoons to the eggs, and, to ra- the eggs? raccoons and coyotes yeah uh, sand crabs people in some areas mm. was uh, did you see a was there a, a big decline in tur- turtles when you started this or was it um was it a preventative measure or both we started monitoring nest and, and uh Started in 69, and the low point was 71. I think there were only 70 nests on Sanibel, not kept, not including Captiva. And now it's 600. No way. Yeah, five, really? 600, unbelievable. That's incredible. We only had one species nest here, and that was the loggerhead. And since I left, they've had leatherback turtles, Kemp's Ridleys, Kemp's Ridleys, which green turtles, are yeah. incredibly rare, come back yep. again, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. And they come back every year, or is it every other year? Do you most know every other year? Every some, other. some every year. Hmm. And how long do they? How long do they live for? I mean, they can live for a long, long time, can't they? Yeah, probably uh, seventy-five, eighty years. That's just a, a guess, yes. comparing it with other turtles. Right. Their survival, you know, is really not good when they're young. Right, but yeah. They're lucky enough to survive to get full maturity, weigh th- two, three hundred pounds. They have a good chance of mm. just living until they wear out. And do they keep coming back even after after they 
I mean, the females stop laying eggs, or do they still come back? Do they still, or not? There's no way to monitor that unless uh, the, unless they're doing that with tagging telemetry, or, satellite yeah. telemetry. Yeah. All right. And uh, at the time, were you were there lights on the beach? Were you part of that too? How the condos? Yeah, the anti-light movement started during my time. Right. And we worked with people. There were no uh, rules and regulations about it at first, but mm -hmm. we. We worked with people trying to get them to turn them down. Right. And when did was there ordinance uh, introduced about the turtles on the island? Um, I mean, were there bylaws put in uh, after you started the program? No. I mean, not with the lighting, but just in general, like. Uh, no, there was a general ordinance that protected turtles on Sanibel, but I don't. I don't recall anything sea turtle specifically. Right. It was just more a case of awareness and letting people know what's right. going on. And right. And now you have to use a, uh, a red covering of your flashlight during t turtle yeah. nesting season. So. Yeah. Awesome. Man. That's incredible that you, you, uh, you're a part of that. It's incredible. Absolutely mind-blowing by that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Max, have you got any uh, questions for us? Oh, yeah. All right. So here Charles, comes trivia some, time, Some Charles. trivia coming. I will admit they are uh, questions taken from your book, so you may be uh, you may you may have some, so you uh, better get these right. Yeah, <laughs> you may have uh, That's an advantage. That's not fair, Max. Well, Hold on, let me, let me let me have a quick look. Hold on, <laughs> I only wrote half the book. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the these are from the uh, the Sanibel Light book. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I read the book, so maybe I'll have a advantage too. Yeah, pull the right. off. That's it. You got it. <laughs> All right. I believe this okay. is the first line of the book. That a jewel of an island existed in Florida's southwest coast was broadcast to the world by the logs of Spaniard Francisco Hernandez de Cordova in what year? Can you say that one more time? That a jewel of an island existed in Florida's southwest coast was broadcast to the world by the logs of Spaniard Francisco Hernandez de Cordova in what year? So Francisco wrote something in his about, logs about, about Sanibel. Sanibel in what year? Yes. <sighs> Can we see the book? Yeah, I wrote that in 1998. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that long ago. <laughs> Cordova. <laughs> trying to think what year he was here. <laughs> I didn't know. I, no, can we get... It's like the first official... Line of his line, book? Uh, no, the first uh, official documentation that Sanibel had been discovered. Okay. All right. Go uh, ahead, Nick. You first. 1786. 1598. 1580. Charles, you're the closest. It was 1517. 1517. Oh, no, I wow. Missed it a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you still, you still get win. The point. You still get the point. You still you're get the point. So that doesn't. All right. Charles <laughs> takes the lead. Charles. All right. In, this is a uh, lighthouse question. In 1883, Converse, Congress established the Sanibel Island Lighthouse Reservation. How much money was allotted for this project mm. in 1883? I think I know this one. I was surprised by this. You were. I was. What well, to build the lighthouse or the 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 land and then to build the lighthouse? Yes. The compound, I guess it was called, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you're first, Nick. 
$17,650. I put 50000 50000 50000 is correct. Yes. Oh, that seems like a lot, I thought. Yeah, for back then. Yeah, for back then. When you consider that the, the original lens that was used in that lighthouse in 1884 has a market today of over $1 million. No way. Gosh. Value. Really? That's crazy. Why? Just because of the the, the the technique to so make ex- it? Yeah, so expensive to make. Really? Wow. Is it wild. still in existence? It's gone. We don't know what happened to the first one. But the second one, is that the Santa Bola? Which one no, is at the Santa Bola? The Historical? second one is gone, and we don't know what happened to it. Oh. <laughs> the third one is at the Santa Bola Historical Village. Really? Really? I wonder oh, where they went. That's crazy. I didn't so, know that. So yeah, the so Coast Guard transferred them to other light stations, so... Unsure. I've never been able to find out what it's happened to them. Huh. Huh. The Florida Lighthouse Association hasn't either. Huh. So. so if you want to see the third one, check it out at the Sanibel Historical Museum and Village. All right, next question. All right, Charles, you're still in the lead with two. The lighthouse was not always completely brown. What color was the top of the lighthouse prior to it being repainted? Hmm. I did not know it wasn't always brown. It's always been brown to me, I must admit. With speckles. <laughs> White speckles. <laughs> White speckles. <laughs> yeah. Ospreys, thanks to the ospreys. <laughs> the, okay. Nick. I'll put white. I put black. Black. Black is correct. It, in the same yes. way that Cape San Blas is black on the top. Okay. It's Excellent. Just I'm doing awesome. <laughs> they, uh, they changed it. And, uh, Do you have any idea why they decided to change it? I don't have any idea. No? And why was it black? Any particular reason just to make it stand out more, would they thought? You would or? think that it, it would was, make it. It was just a published day mark that they published in the light list. Oh, to say the colors so of it? you could identify it by its color. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, so the top was black and the bottom was brown? Brown. And now they, they changed it, all, it all to brown. Huh. Yeah, they did it. they did it years and years and years ago, but... And it's changed colors since then one time, too. Has it? Yeah. What, a lighter brown? I've forgotten. <laughs> Darker, <laughs> lighter. Mean, you, you read columns in the light list, and you have the dates of certain things occurred at the lighthouse. And it's published in the light list, and you can see the difference. So the difference. Hmm. Oh. Has it always had the same flash? Characteristic, what? no. It's different. Why did they change? Just because well, the original of the lens revolved... And it had bullseye prisms uh, as part of the circumference of the lens. And as one of these bullseyes came into your line of view, it would create a flash. Mm. And it was a a flash uh, every two minutes. It moved very slowly. So it took two minutes from one bullseye to the next bullseye. Gotcha. And then what is it? Now it's, it's it's... like 10 and 3, I think, something like that. Very quick flash. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. You'd have to be, have you, that wouldn't be very easy for navigating, would it? If every two, it's two hard minutes. To find two mi- two all minutes, the yeah. of Cape Coral and Fort Myers yeah. Beach, you can't. I'm a sailor. I used to sail offshore, and I, I could never find it. <laughs> <laughs> and you live there. <laughs> you couldn't find your way home. <laughs> All right, our last question. So right, once again, me. what are the scores? Three to Charles. Three, two to two. zero. No, just be quiet. Thank please. you. <laughs> All right, I'm final catch question. You, Charles, watch out. Here the longest known light keeper was Henry Shanahan. 
who served for how many years? <laughs> I'm Once again, in your book, Charles. Let's I'm leaving. See. That he wrote tw- over 20 years ago. <laughs> right. 23 years ago. <laughs> it may be unfair. I've, uh, I've revised it. The new, have you? <laughs> the new one has an extra chapter. Really? <laughs> oh, it does. I didn't know that. Oh, I think I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. Why would, I be, why would I be right? I haven't got one right yet. <laughs> Do you want to go first then? No, I don't. I'll go first. I put 42. I think that's probably way too many. Charles? I said 17, but I don't think that's right. I think it's 22. Oh, I okay. said 26. Dad gets his first no! point. <laughs> yes! Yes, 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 it yes, was yes. 32 years from 1892 to 1924. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I was pretty close. Wow. 10 off. Yeah, Dad was much closer. Yeah. I think he was an assistant part of that time. Was he? So oh, maybe Charles technicality. is right. <laughs> technicality. I don't know. know. Well, Charles still wins with a three. Yes, Charles takes the lead, uh, shockingly. I (laughs) took the information from him. (laughs) Exactly. We don't have the bell, Max. Uh, Oh, we don't have the bell. Oh, Oh, no. And Laurie Star actually fell in the bells, and she hasn't even got one. It's on my desk while we finish up talking. Yeah, so... so can you, can you come back charles we have a lot more questions yeah we got, <laughs> lot, we got lots and lots of questions it, it's an absolute honor to have you on it really is incredible a walking history book and uh and a memory like a steel trap so far so good too. so far so it good, was that says. cistern water i think <laughs> yeah that's what it'll do it kept, it kept you sprightly <laughs> So, here we go. It's tradition that you ring the bell. The winner rings the bell. So, give us a mighty good... There we go. Oh, come oh, on. Ding, 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 ding. There we go. Perfect. That's a quiet bell. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> and Laurie is starting to sell those on an Etsy store. So, check those out if you would like to purchase one. It says, Sanibel, please. And it has a little uh, shell on top. A little sand dollar. Yeah. So, That's nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Um, it was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for making the effort to come out, Charles. It's been a long time in the in the making. Yeah. Uh, we've been wanting to have you on here for. You've probably been our number one requested guest. Well, we've <laughs> tried to get you. That you've been the one we've wanted the most over these last year. So thank you for making our day and coming. And we would on. definitely love to have him back. If anybody has any questions that they want yeah. to pose to Charles, that we can come go back on the, and have uh, him go on the too. forum there and and post some questions and. I think you are a member of our forum, I believe. I think you are, aren't you? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. He, you have your own Facebook page about the Sanibel Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Sanibel Lighthouse, that's right. right. So, yeah. yeah, everybody can go on Facebook and find the Sanibel Lighthouse Facebook page. And Charles shares, I'm sure you have tons of pictures from, you share some of the pictures I've on there. actually been preoccupied with this book for the past nearly a year. Right. Oh, so sure. You're going to go back to it. <laughs> Fantastic. Any thoughts you'd like to share future generations that are coming to the island any words of wisdom about the island that you'd like to share and any, any message that you'd like to put out there <laughs> that was a lot of questions <laughs> i'm giving him variants welcome you come to sanibel welcome uh you can learn all about the island and more but with the uh, the new book that betty and old and i have produced i think you'll find it just crammed full of very useful information if you're interested in these islands fantastic awesome well thanks for thanks again and hopefully we'll get you back on one day soon all right thanks guys 
Okay, and a quick shout out to our supporters. Without our supporters, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Bailey's General Store, Dot Ford's Rum Bar and Grill, Spoondrift Island Bowls, Free Craft and Bites, Taylor Nail, Priscilla's of Sanibel, Coco E. Cabana, Suncatcher's Dream, and Sanibel Parks. Don't forget to reach out to Captain for Clean Water, one of our favourite island chains. Thanks very much. See you on the next one.